I just don't think I've ever been part of a church, and I've been a part of several of them, that has as much musical talent as God has blessed this congregation with. Is that not true? I'm thinking about retiring early, gathering them all together, and going on tour. I think I can greatly enrich my retirement, and I'll probably do more good than I'll do here. But then if I took them all away, you'd be very sad. But look at it on the bright side. I would be very glad. I would be with them listening to them day after day after day. Okay, let's see the car again. Some of you adults have seen this a lot lately, if your children are the right age. But let's just check it out one more time. Seems innocent enough. And then not so much. This dude's just sprouting things everywhere, right? The way I appear in my dreams, right there. <laughs> and then, the way I really am. Just another ordinary car. The Transformer movie phenomenon is something. I, I've not really clued into it. I've not really checked it out. I've heard about grown men going to see it, and I'm going to guess see it this afternoon, at least one of them. I didn't realize they'd made so many Transformer movies, but once they've grossed $3.6 billion, I'm pretty certain they're going to make another one until it stops working, right? You wonder, do we need another Transformer movie? Oh, I don't know about that, but it doesn't really matter. What we need so much is what we're going to receive, right, if we spend our money and go to the movie. People just can't seem to get enough of some things in life, right? Who was the dude in England that got the little wizard, you know, that grew up? There's, what, five movies about that or something like that? I mean, we like movies. You know how many movies there were about James Bond? Twenty-five. Now, that kind of blows my mind. I mean, you know, uh, it just, when Americans get hooked on something, they really get hooked on something. They take it wholeheartedly. They enjoy watching movies that are kind of magical and alluring in one way or another. Wasn't that why Star Trek uh, mesmerized us a little bit in the movies later on that came on the big screen? Uh, all those little creatures running around in different shapes and talking like humans. It, was, it just was kind of alluring to try to imagine that such a place could exist in the world and people flocked like crazy to see those kinds of movies. Something that seems so normal, so basic, so familiar, that can transform itself and become something so powerful, so mysterious, so awesome, to use the word of our culture. Now, these movies help us see the world in a little bit different way. And, and we kind of enjoy that. We get away from the mundane uh, things that we know in our everyday life, and we begin suddenly to kind of have a new and exciting potential. What if, what if our toaster could become not just a toaster, but rather a superhuman figure who would jump out of the toaster, transforming itself into a house cleaner, and we would never have to clean the house again. Yeah, you like that, right? Yeah. What if the pots and pans could kind of rattle together and hop out of the stove and become a transformer who would fix our meals? Yeah. Better yet, 
The old Halloween costumes could transform and become us and we could stay home while they went to work for us. Not a bad idea, you know? Once you get used to the idea that something is not what you think it is, then it becomes something that you can dream about, that you can imagine, something that you can see as something more powerful than it could ever be in its original shape or form. The tagline for these Transformer movies is pretty catchy. More than meets the eye is the tagline for the books and for the toys as well as the film. More than meets the eye. The passage of scripture we're talking about today is very familiar to us. It's Transfiguration Sunday. That gets very little press, right, with most Christians. And unless they're highly liturgical, probably not much to do about it in church. And many times, probably pastors kind of avoid preaching about that text. You know, you only have so many Easter sermons and so many Christmas sermons and so many Transfiguration sermons. And I don't even know if I have one of those until today. Transfiguration, though, is really a big deal. Because in the Christian year, in the formation of the Christian year, it comes right before Ash Wednesday. It becomes that time when Jesus becomes more than the eye could see. Becomes more than what anybody thought Jesus could become. For after all, he was a great rabbi. He was a, a lover of people. He was someone who could speak and people could be healed. But he was still a really complete man to many of them. He ate with him, he drank with him, he walked and talked with him. It was hard to see who he really was. You saw him, if you were one of those original 12 disciples, as an extraordinary human and teacher, but you couldn't see who he really was early on. It's at this point in the story, according to the Gospel of Mark, that Mark wants to begin to unpack who Jesus really was. And this is not going to be the Jesus that the people were looking for as their Messiah, but rather the Jesus as he really was. And they're going to see that through the transfiguration. But before that happened, Jesus had already asked them, who do the people say that I am? And Peter, being the one that usually spoke up first, replied, yes, uh, John the Baptist, some say, others say Elijah, but uh, others, they think you're one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to do something that was so, so very difficult. He began there in chapter 8 to elucidate to them what was about to start happening. It was going to be very hard, almost impossible for them to understand. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, the Messiah must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That was so foreign to their concept of the Messiah. After he said it just plainly to them right like that, then you would expect it to get a response from from the disciples. And, of course, Peter was glad to provide that again. And he said, um, taking Jesus to the side and said, Dude, you're messing up here. You're ruining our picture of you. What do you mean, suffer and die? We're going to rule. You're going to be the king. 
And Jesus, so far off was Peter's understanding at that point that Jesus turned to him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for your mind is on the things of this world. Now, you say, what does that have to do with us in transfiguration? Jesus went on then to greater explain it. Turning to the crowd to call them at this point and disciples and saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whatever, whoever rather, wishes to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then it transitions to this text that we read now. You see, even though Jesus was saying those things, and even though the disciples were worrying over it, they just couldn't get Jesus out of the mold they had of the Messiah, a political warrior, a mighty warrior who is going to morph in from this humble, meek teacher, Messiah, to become this awesome power machine that was going to lead Israel into conquests of the nations around them. That's what they wanted. That's what they planned for. And that's who they saw this man Jesus to be. And then he left the crowds. He went up to a place and he took these three disciples with him. Peter, James, and John. The inner circle, so to speak. And while they were there, he became transfigured in their sight. You know, we talk about the birth and that looks very much like a normal birth. We talk about Jesus and healing people, and we can see that, but we just can't see that. I mean, we just can't wrap our minds that on this earth, on this dirt, amidst the trees, that man showed who he truly was to this inner circle so that they might remember it and hang on to it always. For when you get that picture in your mind and you were there and you've experienced that, then Jesus is never going to be the same again. Because that is not human. That is divine man. That is something that they could not grasp. So God in his mercy made it possible for them to get a hint of that by letting the divine show through so clearly right in their presence. And if that wasn't enough, bring on Moses, the lawgiver. Bring on Elijah, one of the great prophets. And let them talk with Jesus. Wow. Wow, they said. Now, the scripture says they were frightened, but not too frightened for Peter to talk. You know, Peter just never got that frightened. And Peter says, man, dude, let's build three tabernacles. The first church, the second church, and the Crosstown church. And one of you will be, you'll each have one, but Jesus, yours will be, you know, I'm imagining what else he might have said in that conversation. This is going to be something. 
And then a cloud comes. And it envelops that scene. And then a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved son. Second time they've heard that voice coming out of the heavens. But this time the voice also says, Listen to him. I've just told you what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer and I'm I'm going to die. And it has to happen. I am the Messiah. Don't forget it. Don't get confused when they put me in that cave. Don't get confused when you meet me after the fact, after the resurrection. Because I'm not just simply a human. I am God in the flesh, fully human and fully divine. So, Peter, the next time you think you want to tell me what I need to do, cut your tongue out. Shut up. I am God Almighty. Don't mess with me. We like to transform too, though. We like this transforming idea, transforming Jesus. And sometimes, like the disciples, we get outside ourselves and we forget that image up there. We forget who this Jesus really is. The reason we remember it today is because we need to be regularly reminded of who Jesus really was and who he is today sitting beside God the Father in heaven. I don't, I don't, don't get me into the three-in-one deal. I'm trying to teach it in confirmation. That's bad enough, okay? Just allow yourself to get this image that Jesus returned to the Father. More than just a man, more than just a teacher, more than just a rabbi, more than just a person who had a really unique relationship with God, more than Moses, more than Elijah, and without any words, get it in your head, the greatest thing that humanity had ever seen to that point, and get it in your head today, greater than you can conceive of today in 2015. Greater than that. However big you think Jesus is, he's bigger than that. Get it in our heads that we are talking about Something we cannot possibly fathom, we can just sing praises in his presence. We only understand a snippet of who Jesus was. When we know the scriptures by heart, we've only touched the surface of who Jesus was. There were many, many more stories to be written, but these were written according to the Gospel of John so we might believe. It's enough, but you can't say enough about that person who was on that screen. He lit up. He lit up the world around him. Now, we think at that point, well, man, they surely were slow if they saw that and didn't get it. But they didn't have me there to explain it to them. <laughs> After 2,000 years of dealing with it by the church, because I'll admit, when I decided I was going to preach on this package, I nearly backed out of it three or four different times. Because I said, well, this is pretty simple, Lord. I mean, you know, you show up, you, you shine like a flashlight. Except more than a flashlight ever could be. You look like you've been charged with nuclear power, but we know you haven't. It's God power. So how am I going to make a sermon out of that? Well, first of all, Let's just accept the fact that it happened and that we need to remember it. It wouldn't be bad if you find a painting somewhere or a piece of art that has that picture. You ought to just buy it. You know, I don't have one of those. You buy two. 
And give me one, you keep the other one. Make it. That was a really a good picture. Lauren's going to find out where she found it. She just hunted it down for me. You ought to look at that. Wouldn't be bad every morning. To remind yourself of who Jesus is. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not your big buddy in the sky. Jesus is not the genie in a bottle that you can speak words to that pops out and gives you whatever your little heart desires. You cannot manipulate God. Oh, you can try, and we're good at it. We've perfected it. We've turned it into an art. We want this Jesus to be who we want this Jesus to be. It's not an accident that most paintings show him as a white man. (laughs) Because after all, the church was in the beginning formulated through mostly brown men, and we like to think they're white. Why did we ever get that picture of Jesus as being a Caucasian in North America? Do you ever think about that? I know I'm messing with your treasured little things, but I don't mind that. Jesus was dark-skinned. He was not light-skinned. Jesus was a Jew who lived in Israel, for goodness sakes, and he lived in the sun. Maybe his feet weren't as brown as the rest of him because he's walking in that dust all day and, you know, whatever. But we love to transform Jesus into who we want Jesus to be. The Jesus who gives us what we want when we pray about something that we need. And you say, now, preacher, aren't we supposed to pray for things we need? Yep, we are. We're supposed to pray for the things we want. We're also supposed to pray in the will of God, which is much more difficult in our travel spiritual journey on this earth than we realize first we have to seek God in his presence and realize who God is before we begin to ask him for a new job before we begin to ask him to fix what we've already messed up transform our world back the way we want it Lord I'll I'll try hard not to do it again you know Jesus the great affirmer The Jesus who makes us all feel good because he loves us all. That's the picture we love. What about this Jesus who was a fulfillment of the law? Well, well now, you know, that was before, after all. That's Old Testament stuff. We don't don't want too much of that Jesus about the law. We don't want Jesus telling us what we can or can't do. We like Jesus, but we can tell what we want to do, and he'll affirm it, right? The great American Jesus. We love that picture of Jesus. In fact, we spend a lot of spiritual energy trying to convince Jesus of what Jesus needs to do in this world, don't we? How much time do we spend contemplating what Jesus really wants to happen in this world? How much time do we spend doing that? I played a little game this today with the confirmands they've been reading about who the person of Jesus was and so as you open up material there's all kinds of stories about Jesus so I asked them what was their favorite story Jonah got a few votes Esther got some votes uh, well why 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 is Jonah your favorite story the fish man I mean the fish 
The walls of Jericho coming tumbling down. The power. Favorite stories everywhere. After reading about Jesus all week long, not one student said their favorite story was about Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to bash the confirmation class any more than I'm trying to bash all of y'all. So, hey, because we're not much different, are we? We love the exciting parts of the scripture that take us somewhere we want to go. We don't want to take the whole thing in and let Jesus meddle too much in our lives. We are American. We are. And we know the party where Jesus really functions best in in the American system. Oh, yeah. Politicians almost make me want to greet them in the name of Jesus with my hands around their little necks. (laughs) God wants this and God wants that. And I often think, have you ever read the scriptures at all? At all. Many politicians love to talk about Jesus because it's become fashionable and it gets them votes. Their lives are pathetic, many of them, and you all know it. Oh, but Jesus is definitely red. Really? Yes, because he gets all that sin. Yeah, like ignoring the poor people. God gets really upset about ignoring the poor people. probably glories in a welfare program to take care of them. And if you have the desire to straighten me out after worship and explain to me how the welfare program could not possibly be blessed by Jesus, bring your dinner and your breakfast and sit down. That is not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Read the book. We are held responsible for the hungry children all over the world, I believe. That's the Jesus of the scriptures. We are responsible as his children that when we have enough to share our bounty with others who do not have enough. Now, that won't get me many votes, but fortunately the bishop sends me. You didn't get to vote on me. I understand that. Again, this is not a political statement simply because, quite frankly, Politicians are way overrated on all sides. They're human like us. And they like to transform Jesus too. You know, hit the transformer button. One of the children said down the front, I know you couldn't hear him probably, but I said, is that a car? He says, yeah. And then they said transform. And the other boy said, I said, well, how does he do that? And the little boy said, well, it's underneath the car. That's where all the stuff is. <laughs> you know, when you fold out the top of the car, then the transformer comes alive. You know, that's really true. And it's underneath the stuff we saw as Jesus walked the earth that the Son of God, the only Son of God, walked this earth and forgave those who sinned. Walked this earth and fed the hungry. Walked this earth and healed the sick. Walked this earth and called people to follow the one true God. It's underneath that layer that we call humanity that the divine presence of God dwelt within the human, fully human presence of God himself. Now, I know it doesn't work logically, but I've had a lot of professors explain that to me. Along the way, they've told me that these, you don't really believe in these miraculous things. You know, that's too far underneath. We can't see all that. 
I've had them explained in philosophy. He was a good teacher and a good man, but you don't really believe somebody rose from the dead. And as I told the confirmation class today, yes, I do. I really believe that guy rose from the dead, even for you, even though you don't understand squat about Jesus. You don't understand hardly anything. But you're teaching philosophy at the university you named the place. And your job is to convince everybody that wisdom is somehow higher than faith and truth of the scriptures. I get that. You know, it's the evolution story. What a cute story that's so filled with holes that it couldn't possibly hold the water that all creation came from. Are you saying there's no evolution? No, I didn't say that. I believe there's some evolution. But I was never a monkey. And you can't prove that I was. And neither can any student out there. There's never been a half-human, half-monkey found. Never. Because it didn't happen that way. Has the earth evolved and become much older than the way we count it in the Bible? Yes, I believe that. That doesn't take a great... Does the world evolve? Sure, it evolves. Do watches really matter to God? Not on Sunday morning. (laughs) Not on Sunday morning. If I think I'm going over my time, don't worry. I'll just have the band come back and we'll sing some more. You never get tired of that. Why use our energy trying to transform Jesus? Because if we can morph or manipulate Jesus to fit our agenda, our lives will be more comfortable. But Jesus is not who we made him out to be. Jesus is not who the Jews understood him to be. Jesus is not going to be controlled by self-serving, idolatrous ideas about who Jesus was. Jesus cannot be put in a box and pulled out like a genie and made to answer our every prayer. It doesn't work. It never has, and it never will. Jesus is God. Just say that to to yourself. Jesus is God. Fully God. Now say it out loud. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Can you begin to think about what that means? Jesus is God. Oh, my goodness. The professor who told me, well, you can't believe the resurrection. You're smarter than that. Jesus is God. Jesus can do anything that Jesus wants to do with all the things that he created. And if your mind is too simple to understand that, just say it, Mr. Professor, Miss Professor. Just say it. I'm smarter than God. They rarely want to say that after they've said what they've already said. You're just not logical. Yes, I am, and it's logically apparent to me that I need to get out of this city and go to Wilmore, Kentucky, where I can go to school in Asbury, where they think that Jesus was actually resurrected. Because he was resurrected. I mean, I didn't know much else, granted. If you think that's frightening, I'd been preaching four or five years by then. I was a self-taught theologian, 
until I found my way in Wilmore, Kentucky. And I went there because I didn't want to hear somebody tell me that miraculous is not possible because they don't believe in that Jesus that was on the screen. That Jesus can do anything. We may not understand why Jesus doesn't do more things on this earth that we want him to do, but once we accept the fact that our agenda and his agenda is not always about the right thing, you see the way Jesus sees us, we're already saved. What's the panic? If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. If I live, I'm going to be with Jesus. If I dress in white and sit on the stage, I might look like a big old angel. And then I might not. (laughs) I don't know what I say about this passage. Jesus is God. What does say a thing or two more? I know the band is coming to let me know I could get out early if I'd sit down. And they're right. The breathtaking reality is that Jesus is greater than we can imagine, holier than we can imagine, wiser than we assume. And if we let ourselves meditate on his presence, we will see a picture of the transforming Jesus in our minds. And we will too will crouch on the ground and kneel in the presence of the one who created humanity. This is not some first century guru who's smarter than everybody else. This was a God man, God in the flesh, the son of God. With unlimited power and unlimited love, who is far more than meets the eye of the man Jesus who walked around in this world. We need to hear him, we need to follow him, we need to trust him. Because wow, this is God in the flesh. Lent begins Wednesday. The reason Transfiguration Sunday comes before Lenten Sunday, as far as I'm concerned, is this you can't spend 40 days examining yourself. Repenting of your sin properly and with power, unless you begin it with this picture of Jesus in your mind. Let this dazzling picture of God in the flesh cleanse you of your sin. Let this picture of dazzling power give you the strength to recognize your sin. Don't run from your sin. Don't pretend to be holier than you are, like you don't need Lynn or something. Don't contemplate what Jesus can give you, but rather contemplate who Jesus is and who Jesus wants you to be.